Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I actually just want to start off the episode by saying that um, things have been really hard with what's going on in Israel. And I feel like it's so important to just say that before we listen to an episode. Um, I know that some people are like, okay, like they just don't want to hear about it. But for me, Personally, it's one of those things that I just can't um, take out of the forefront of my head. I actually had this conversation with someone and and everyone's different. But for me, I actually like seeing the posters up, even if I'm in the middle of having lunch with someone or doing something else, because I personally don't ever want it to like escape my mind right now. We're only one month into the war, but right now that's how I feel. And then there are people that like, no, I just, I can't think about it all day. And that's totally legitimate and fine. But I just feel like as a as a Jewish person, um, it's one of those things like it, it can't, I, for me, it can't be um, not spoken about. So I just wanted to take a moment to say that I am davening for everybody, um, all the Jews in the world and all the people in the world that there should be no more fighting and that um, we should just go back to uh, peace, not that we've ever really had peace in Israel and hopefully um Mashiach will just come. So I just wanted to say that. And um, last week I had somebody on who explained what's going on in her life. And if anybody wants to send in any stories or just share um, something that's going on, or maybe I've heard so many miracle stories that's happened, I just love to hear those. So if you want to send them, um, you're more than welcome. Okay, so now today we have on Sarah Feigenbaum. And Sarah Feigenbaum is a pelvic floor PT, physical therapist. Now, you might be wondering, what does a pelvic floor physical therapist actually do? And that is a great question. I didn't know myself. I've heard of it, and I've seen people on Instagram talk about it, and it seems like a really important thing. Um, But I wanted to hear more, and I wanted to cover topics that really – anything that overlaps with women's health, especially having to do with body image and food issues. And as you'll hear in the episode, obviously that comes up. Um, So – what I found, which you'll hear on the episode, is that I always like to find the parallel between um, someone who I'm interviewing and the intuitive eating process. And if you listen, you'll hear that Sarah also never heard about this um, pelvic floor, uh, how to treat um, pel- somebody who's struggling with anything having to do with their pelvic floor. And then she didn't learn about it in school, but she took uh, extra courses and that's how she knows. And it's kind of similar to intuitive eating because I'd never, ever heard about intuitive eating as a student. Um and when, once I heard about it, I was like, "How come this was never taught in school?" So I feel like we push the um, we push the envelope a little bit when we learn something in school and get our degree in it, and then we learn something else and incorporate it into our practice, and then we teach it to the world, and then it does usually become mainstream practice. So thank God that is hopefully up and coming in terms of pelvic floor PT or the information we have about pelvic floor, and same with intuitive eating. Um, so enjoy the episode. I just wanted to make a mention that that we do use a little bit of explicit language when referring to, um, a woman's body. So if you're listening, if you usually listen to this while your kids are around, I would suggest not nothing, nothing that's very, very explicit, but I just, if you're sensitive to that and you don't want your kids to hear those things, then I'm just putting out a warning and, um, thank you so much for being here. If you're looking to make peace with food and learn the principles of intuitive eating, please reach out to me at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com. You could also WhatsApp me at 570-878-3642. And if you are not ready to work with me one-on-one or work with anybody one-on-one, you could always 
access some of my courses on my website, www.gilaglassberg.com. And of course, there's so many episodes here of the podcast that are all free. So feel free to go all the way back to the beginning and hear and learn so much about intuitive eating and so many different perspectives. And without further ado, here is the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, your host, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have on Sarah Feigenbaum. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank God. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think that you have um, an interesting um, perspective that I have never, ever shared on the podcast. So um, tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? What, what do you do? I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. I live in Staten Island and I practice in Staten Island. Um, pelvic floor physical therapy basically works with anything that has to do with the pelvis. Um, anything really woman related, it's also called women's health physical therapy. So I work with um, people postpartum, um, during pregnancy, anything that has to do with the pelvis, pain in the pelvis, um, incontinence, diastasis, which is like separation of the stomach muscles, back pain, hip pain, and a lot of other stuff. Very interesting. So could I, let's, let, let me take you back a few steps. How did you get interested in PT and more specifically pelvic floor? So I got into PT because I always wanted to do something medical. And I also love science and biology. And um, like of all the therapies, PT was like the most science-based. So that's how I chose PT. Mm -hmm. um, we heard about pelvic floor therapy in um, PT school and it was like none of our professors knew about it whenever we needed to learn about it they would like get these guest speakers in mm -hmm. and it sounded really cool I started in a regular clinic after um, after I graduated but, like I always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to go into it and then my coworkers would like send me anyone who had pelvic floor stuff and I just saw like how much there was a need for it and how much like I was like telling one of the patients I was like I can't I, I didn't have the capacity to treat her fully for pelvic floor in that clinic but I told her there are people you could go to and people that could help this and she was like crying and like I never thought I would be able to have kids and wow. like just amazing like what you could do for them wow do you think I'm just thinking this off the top of my head it's so interesting because I've heard um other PTs who do pelvic floor or other professionals in general to talk about the pelvic floor, maybe like at the gym or the, like, I know I went to a yoga class. Um, the instructor 
like work specifically on the pelvic floor. And, um, but I also know that like, it's one of those things that's like really misunderstood. Like people don't really know about it. Like, so like, I guess I'm seeing an overlap with intuitive eating, you know, cause people are like dietitians or doctors and they're just like, what, that's not true. You know? So like, this just like misinformation, like, why do you think that is? Um, I think a lot of it honestly is because that area of the body is just so private and mysterious and people think it's like so different than the rest of the body like you have back pain and it's like okay I have back pain you have pelvic pain and it's like something's wrong with you like they don't know what's going on they can't talk to anyone about it it's just something you have to live with like there's just it's not really like misinformation there's kind of like no information so people just make up whatever it is that that they just think. So in the field of, um, of PT, are you saying it's like now it's more research, it's more like evidence-based, people are learning more, they're more studying yeah, it? Yeah, it's definitely becoming more and more widespread with doctors, like slowly doctors are starting to refer to pelvic floor physical therapists. It's still not enough as it should be. And we're trying to, as like a community of pelvic floor therapists, trying to really educate um, people, but also doctors about what we can do. Cause the doctors don't always, there's not, there are certain things that there's just nothing for the doctors to do. Like there are no medical interventions that the doctor could do. And they'll be like, do Kegels mm-hmm. or like use a dilator. Like they don't really like, so we're trying to show them that we could really like, I network a lot with doctors, um, tell them about what I could do. And we're trying to get the word out more, but it's definitely more than it was like years ago. That's amazing. Could you, I don't know if you want to go so much into detail, but could you explain like what you, I know you said um, people who have pelvic pelvic pain, incontinence, um, back pain. Could you, I guess those are like the more general problems. I'm sure there's more specific problems, but could you explain like a little bit what you do like on a day-to-day basis? Um, whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. Um, okay. So for pain pelvic pain or pain with intercourse pain with putting in a tampon like anything uh, pain with a gyno exam anything like inserting um so there's release that i'll do manually um so like the same way you get um, a massage on your shoulder like if you go to pt so it's the same thing like the vagina is made out of muscle and like you massage it out trigger Mm -hmm. point release um and stuff like that um, we use dilators, which are basically things that like these like tubes that you insert. And then there's like, there's different sizes. So you start with a smaller size and then you get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, then we do like stretches and stuff. Um, there's also certain positions like yoga positions, um, deep breathing and things that relax the pelvic floor. Then there's the strengthening of the pelvic floor, um, which is used more for like incontinence where you do kegels basically but you have to learn how to do a kegel with like the rest of the core and then holding the kegel while you're doing something else knowing how to do the kegel right because I think it's like 30 percent of women um do kegels wrong so learning how to do a kegel um and and doing a kegel together with everything you need to do it with and exercises and that's in short what we do so you said that like your professors didn't really know about that. How did you, did you just like learn on your own? Did you take special trainings? How did you, how did you learn? A ton of courses. 
um, and supervision. Amazing. Um, so as I was asking you before we started recording, um, I wanted to hear about the overlap between what you do and what I do, which is um, intuitive eating, but like more specifically body image and people who struggle with um, their food. So could you share that overlap? Sure. So there's a ton of overlap between pelvic floor physical therapy and um, food in general, and also like intuitive eating and body image um, specifically. So um, the the whole like abdominal area and the whole um, GI system and food is very, very closely related to the pelvic floor because it's right on top of the pelvic floor. So any it's it's basically like the pressure system that's involved. So anytime that you have bloating or pressure in, in the stomach, it pushes down on the pelvic floor. So like we talk a lot about um, diet and stuff that's gonna affect your GI system. So that's more like scientifically how it um, relates. Can you share um, but, a little bit? Well, like basically we do a bowel and bladder diary mm -hmm. and um, they write, they'll write like with each time they, they eat a food, like what are their symptoms? Like, do they get more bloated? Um, does their, do they um, urinate more? Do they pee more? Because like a lot of things are bladder irritants, so it affects that. Um, coffee is one that a lot of patients have to go off of and they're very sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they'll find like their foods that are bad for them. Is and it how a pattern? You said coffee, but do you see a pattern or is everyone just different? There are certain like key foods that you watch out for. The bladder irritants are usually anything carbonated, seltzer, soda, caffeine, acid um, are usually the bladder irritants. Seltzer, I never knew that. Isn't that so interesting? I hope that this is helping so many people because I never, I never heard that. It's huge. I literally have patients like they're going to the bathroom like every half hour. They stop seltzer and it's like every two hours, like straight up. Like I'm curious how that works scientifically. Do you know the connection? I I never fully looked into it. We've like debated. My husband actually was like, it doesn't make any sense, but Tom gets to your kidneys. There's no right. way there's any bubbles left. Right. It's so interesting. But, um, so we were like thinking maybe the pressure of the bubbles pushes down. I'm not sure really exactly how it works, but um, yeah, it's really, really cool. Like I see it like so often. Coffee also like straight up could help you so much. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, and drinking water, of course, like is the best thing ever. Right. <laughs> Helps a ton. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I have like a lot of patients, like they don't want to drink because they're scared then they're going to have to go. Mm -hmm. But they start drinking more and they actually have to go less because the urine less acidic and then your body is like more willing to keep it. Interesting. So that's really cool. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. So that's like the drinks. And then the food, it's usually dairy, gluten, um, all like the hot ones that people um, like to go off of. But um, I try not to have people as much as possible, like fully eliminate any, um, any food group. So I'll have them totally take it out for like two weeks to see if it makes a difference. And then I'll tell them like, start adding it in a little bit and see like what you could handle. It's like a lot of times it's just a matter of like dosing. So like, don't have like cereal milk for breakfast and pizza for lunch and lasagna for dinner. So mm -hmm. like have one thing of dairy a day. Cause like, I don't, I don't, I don't like promoting the take things out. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
So you're saying dairy and gluten tend to be bladder dairy irritated? and gluten. No, so that is for the bloating. Oh, okay, got it. The bloating, the bloating really, like the main thing that that we do, it's all about the pressure system. Literally like everything we do comes down to the pressure system. You just don't want things pushing down on the pelvis. Mm-hmm. So like when you do giggles, it's pulling the pelvis up. When mm-hmm. you, um, when you're, releasing things it's like making it not pull down when you have a prolapse let's say it's pulling down like you want everything up 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 not down so anytime there's like bloating it's just pushing down which we don't like so um i'm i'm i think that's really interesting from an intuitive eating perspective because um as you said like we don't like to eliminate foods but um i do that with my clients as well like if it's not triggering like to keep it food diary for a few days or even weeks I do it more like um to assess their hunger and fullness and their satiety like when like what you ate like write down what you ate and how hungry you were and how full you became and how long that kept you how satisfying it was just so that they know I say it's like data like you'll know that if you have a salad it's going to keep you for one hour versus a sandwich which will keep you for two like just that general knowledge of your body um, but the interesting thing here is about like, let's say gluten and dairy, which are like such hot topics, even coffee, um, to know that, like, I, I know like it sounds so cliche and maybe even a little against intuitive eating, but like moderation and variety, you know, like it's not that you can't have any gluten or you can't have any dairy or you can't have any vegetables or coffee. I mean, I don't know if coffee because I don't know, but like, like, so like if you ate broccoli all day, you would have bloating. If you ate dairy all day, you might have bloating. So like, just to like, stop demonizing the food like I hear so many people say oh my god gluten and dairy they're the worst thing ever for the human body and I'm like what are you saying like why are you saying that and I and I, I get I guess I get why people say that because you're you're seeing it in your practice that people really do have negative effects from those foods but it is based on like how much they're having it and maybe even when they're having it yeah totally um two things that are just coming to mind while you're talking um first of all the way that I got into that is because I go to a nutritionist, Dina Cohn, who has this um, uh, hashkafa mindset um, about this. And she, like, I was like, I can't eat dairy. I can't eat dairy. And she's like, it's really about the dosing. She's the one who taught me about this. Um, so like I saw for myself, it really, like, it's really true. Cause like you think like, oh, I take it out. So then it must be that I shouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. But like I love dairy. So like I was eating a ton of dairy. So of course, if I take it all out, I'll feel better. It doesn't mean that I can't have right. any dairy. Right. Um, and also another thing that I'm very into that I tell all my patients, I'm very into um, being empowered and, and like having knowledge about your body, knowing about your body, and then making your own decisions based on that. So, which means I want you to eliminate it and I want you to know what your triggers are. And then you could make your own decisions. Like, I don't know, for me, I love ice cream. And like, I know sometimes if I have ice cream, like I'll be like a little uncomfortable after, but like to me, it's worth it. It's like two out of 10 discomfort. And like, I love it. So whatever. I like knowing it because I don't want to just get like bloated and not know what's going on and feel like, feel gross. And like, I don't know why my body's whatever. Um, But once you have it, like, it's your body and you decide what you want to do. Yeah. So first of all, shout out to Dina Cohen. She's amazing. She's in Lakewood. Um, and I actually just met Dina Cohen for the first time in person because we had a dietitian event in Lakewood. It was really cool. Um, oh. Yeah. 
and I mean, I know her just from, we're both dietitians, but um, the other thing I wanted to say, which I find really interesting and an overlap for sure in the nutrition field is that like, I'm actually teaching nutrition this year to high schoolers. And I'm like so excited that about this specific thing. Cause I remember one of my professors teaching us this and I thought it was amazing. Um, she's, she was my professor, professor Kant in Queens college was very into you as the dietitian, don't tell your clients what to do. You inform them and they make an informed decision. So like she taught us how to do research and, um, how to read research and the strength of research and, um, not like you, like this is good for you eat it. Like, exactly what you just said like this might make you feel bloated but if you have this amount it might make you feel somewhat um uncomfortable but it will be worth it because it's so delicious and it's so much fun to eat ice cream with your family but if you eat ice cream five times a day yeah you're probably not going to function well so like as i think that 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 is such a difference between diet culture and intuitive eating like the philosophy because like diet culture is like cut it out you don't need it shameful why should you have to eat ice cream like um what's the saying like being skinny, never uh, eating ice cream, never felt as good as being skinny, whatever the, whatever the saying is, but um, it's really true. Like there's like so much nuance and there's so much individuality and there's so much like room for um, testing and try trial and error. Like, okay, maybe you can't eat um, gluten every day, but maybe there is a certain amount or maybe not like multiple times a day, but you know, like just that empowerment of like, learn about your body, and instead of just like, no, I can't eat any of those things are bad for me, you know? Yeah, it's really true. Um, so tell me more about the body image piece. I would really, I'm really interested to hear how, how um, people who are struggling, let's say with pelvic floor issues also are struggling with body image issues. So there's a few different ways. I, I guess the main way is kind of like, it's people who are not comfortable in their bodies um like you start feeling like this part of my body has issues is messed up um this part of my body is also messed up like a lot of people will come to me like I'm a mess I'm just a mess like this is a problem that's a problem like they just like I feel like they're just not not proud not like they don't feel good like about a lot of different things I think it just like all goes together especially when it's like postpartum let's say or even two years after you have a baby um they just don't feel like they did before they had a baby and they just like everything is just they they want they want to feel like they did before they had five kids um it's not it's not always possible but um uh, and and that's 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 good that's like you know like our bodies change and it's part of um growing and and it's like I have I heard of someone once told me that her friend's mother um had like a big diastasis where like the stomach muscle opens and she looked pregnant a lot of the time even when she wasn't she had 10 kids and she's like I'm so proud this is my you know this is my trophy that I had 10 kids and I'm so proud of it wow. and you know like that's that's great so I think that that's a lot of it that they're just not comfortable with um with where they are and then it, it it like comes out because they're they're talking to me about these things that they're not comfortable with and then it will come up or they'll tell me like oh I gained a lot of weight that's why xyz happened to me oh I know that if I lose weight like it will help me and I'll I'll get better mm -hmm. um so that's a lot of it um once we start like I'm, I try to be very careful when I bring up the food um not to like cause any like any 
any misconception or like have anyone think that I um saying that they should lose weight or they're not eating well or whatever it is. Um, I do bring it up though, because it's important in treatment, but like a lot of times when I first start bringing it up, people will be like, yeah, I know I eat horrible. Yeah, I know. I don't mm. eat healthy. I don't eat healthy. Or they'll be like very defensive. Like I eat healthy. I'm fine. I eat healthy. Right. right. Um, so they're into that. Another thing is that I treat this diastasis that I was talking about where the stomach muscles separate. It usually happens after, um, pregnancy, but it sometimes even without a pregnancy it will happen. Um, and people come to me mainly because they want their stomach to look smaller. Like that's why they're getting the diastasis treated. And that's really tricky. Like I, I kind of like, I'm like conflicted with myself. Like sometimes I feel bad that I treat it because I feel like it's really promoting that, um, that mindset that like, I need to look skinny, but, but like, I think it's normal that people want to look good and and they don't want to have to look pregnant when they're not pregnant mm -hmm. um and I really try hard to not be like make it about the inches that they lost and and trying to help them feel comfortable in their body and 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 good even though they're trying to get better you know like just because someone's putting on makeup doesn't mean that they think they're ugly so right. like it's kind of trying to have that balance so i don't i know um I don't even know how to say the word dias say the word dial yeah diastasis. so that's like um the muscles like separating yeah exactly is it dangerous no is it, it can cause like back pain and stuff like that um yeah like it can it can cause like some pelvic issues it's not dangerous in and of itself at all mm -hmm. um but it but yeah there are surgeries you can do for it tummy tucks and stuff like that um, they'll pull it back together, but is it painful? No, totally not. So it's not like it's not it's not like one of those things that has to be treated and then it happens to make people feel better because their stomach's smaller. It's like people are just doing it cosmetically. No, so there are reasons why you would do it. Like when I treat, let's say, pelvic pain or um, um, pelvic weakness, I will also teach them how to contract the muscles that are like that I would teach for treating diastasis. Like it is part of the core. And when there's a part of the core that's weak, it does, you know, like it does affect other things. It could affect everything really, because it's all part of the core. Mm -hmm. um, there is another, there's a certain treatment, another one that I do really more specifically for the diastasis, which technically like anyone could really benefit from it, but like I wouldn't necessarily just give it to anyone. Got it. Um, and in terms of like the body image piece, like, is there, do you see like, do you have a role in like, sort of like, even though you're not like a therapist or a dietitian or anything, but do you see yourself in a role of like trying to explain to women that like bodies come in all shapes and sizes and like bodies are supposed to change. And like, it makes sense that you don't have the same body that you did 10 years ago before you had five kids or 10 kids or whatever. Um, is that, does that come up? Sure, for sure, for sure. I hope I'm saying the right things. I try my best. Um, but yeah, definitely like, um, we're therapists as, right. As, I mean, like, I feel like any medical professional ends up, you know, it's, it's all like, if, if, if you're a good medical professional and try to be like holistic in your treatment, mm -hmm. everything's going to end up coming up. We're therapists. Um, you know, the anxiety and depression comes up because it's all related and the 
the body image comes up and, and the medical things come up too. It's like, it's everything. Right. It's for sure. Everything overlaps with everything. And I, we need more like person-centered care and holistic treatment in general. So I guess, thank God you're doing what you're doing. And there is, I think, a little bit of a shift. Do you see that your words make a difference? Like, do you, do they accept your words or are they pushing away your words? Like, no, it doesn't matter. I have to be skinny. Or do you think that the health at every size intuitive eating movement is making a bit of a, a shift? Do you see a shift? I do. I can't say it's huge, um, but I do see a shift, especially because I'm a like expert. So they'll take my word for it, like a little bit more. Mm. Um, like they won't think like, oh my gosh, it's so horrible. Cause there are doctors who will, you know, you'll go to them and they'll be like, you have to lose 30 pounds. You have to lose 30 right. pounds. You know? mm-hmm. Like, so they think like, it's just horrible that they lose weight and they'll come to me like, yeah, I know I have to lose weight. I know. Right. I have to lose weight. right. Like at least there's like another medical professional who's telling them that it's not necessarily like the main thing that they have right. to do. Right. For sure. Um, I'm really happy that you're doing that. Can you share as much as you're comfortable to share about your own story with like food and body image and where you're holding now? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up, I was always skinny, always, always skinny, like a toothpick, like really skinny. Um, and it was, I guess like kind of what defined it, not, not that it defined me, but it was one of the things that defined me. Like it was always part of me that everyone was always telling me that I was so skinny. And I, like I ate whatever I wanted. Like I wasn't dieting. It was just my natural um, uh, self. And I started going to a nutritionist, Dina Cohn, um, because like I wasn't eating, like I guess because I was so skinny, Unfortunately, the reason why people start going to nutritionists and like trying to eat healthy is because they want to lose weight. Um, but so like I never really thought about what I ate. Um, so I but I really wanted to start eating more balanced. I was like eating like all the time snacks and carbs and like never be like I didn't realize until I started going to her, but I was never like really full. Like I was always hungry and like always snacking. I had no concept of like meals and snacks was just like eating when I was hungry like, were you brought up with meals and snacks and you just like didn't care or like was your mom like the chill type that was like yeah just have cereal and milk I was brought up with meals and snacks but not like extremely rigidly like we would have tuna a lot for supper and but 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 it was it was meals and snacks I don't know because I I guess like I just I always liked carbs <laughs> so I guess like as soon as I was in my own house and I didn't have to eat breakfast lunch and supper especially since I didn't have kids and I was in PT school so my husband packed me like this huge bag of like food and food and food and food because I was there from like nine in the morning till six o'clock at night and like where I was hungry I would just like pull out what I was in the mood of Mm -hmm. Um, and then it just like stayed like that so I would be eating all the time and then like once I started going to this nutritionist, like I started realizing like I'm always hungry. Like I'm never, she's like, what does it feel to be like full? I was like, oh, it feels gross. Like to me, right. like full meant like overstuffed. And right. then then it was like either hungry or overstuffed. Basically. Right. Right. So um it was really hard. <laughs> but I started trying to be more balanced. It was very, 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 very hard. Cause I just like, wasn't used to the whole like vegetable starch um, right. protein thing. Right. Um, and I was like petrified that I was going to gain weight. Um, like, I guess 
like anyone would be mm -hmm. most people would be <laughs> especially since it was like such a big thing like yeah. in my life that I was always skinny right um so that's when it started like coming out with like the body image mm -hmm. um that really nervous to gain weight um and then I remember I was so upset I was I was expecting and I was like really working on eating better and eating better better and I went to the doctor my OB and I sat down and she's like she weighed me or whatever it was and she's like you really have to slow down with the eating <laughs> I was like I was so upset oh my gosh and I was like, I was working so hard to eat better and, and to like eat and not care. And like, here she is. And she just like, whatever. And like, I was like, I wrote like a whole thing. I was really upset. Um, And I was like, she didn't even like look at me. I was like, just like pick your head off and like, look at me. Like I was so skinny. Like, yeah. and apparently there's like another chart for people who are like underweight, another, um, growth chart for pregnancy like you're supposed to gain more weight if you were underweight when you started mm. um, i guess she didn't know about it or didn't care or didn't look um so after that i was like i'm gonna make sure that with my patients i like look at them and i make sure to uh, like really see the whole person and not just, you know say straight out scientifically what they need um since then my eating and body image um um stuff uh has gone like up and down um but i'm really trying and um i'm doing pretty well now and i definitely like come a long way and like what i was saying with like always being hungry like i know what it feels like to be full now like, mm -hmm. i'm not hungry like i'm like oh my gosh like i didn't realize i was like hey like it's just like random time of the day and like i feel good yeah <laughs> that was like it was like whoa i didn't know there was such a thing um and like I'm definitely like eating more balanced and eating well and like trying to like make it an, a part of like my life and I'm really trying to teach my kids healthy outlook on eating both mm. like body image and eating wow so if that's such an interesting story so you like this is actually pretty common like that um like either being skinny or like even having an eating disorder or like being the healthy one, like that's a big part of people's identity, right? So like, I think I've quoted this on the podcast before, but I don't know if you've read any of Glennon Doyle's work, um, but she she speaks about how when she was, she became bulimic, I think when she was 10. And um, part of what she explained is that like, sh she was always like, when people would see her, they would comment about her, like, you're so pretty, you're so skinny, or they would tell her mom, like, what a pretty little girl. So like, her identity was like, I'm pretty, and I'm skinny. And, and if I do anything to threaten that it's going to threaten me as my identity, which is like, so warped. Uh, but it makes sense. Like, I know for myself, when I was struggling in high school, um, with my own body image and food issues, like it was very much a part of my, my identity that like, I was the healthy one, quote unquote, I was the one that was like, had a lot of willpower. Right. And especially like, whatever, like if we're struggling with self-esteem in another area, this like really gets highlighted, you know? Um, 
so so I've, I've heard that before that people who are very even people who are very very skinny really struggle with eating because they're so afraid of losing that status which is so sad um but it just speaks to where we are in society in terms of like the thin ideal and um, praising weight loss um but also another interesting thing just to know is that like you were very skinny and you were eating carbs all day like that's what you said and you still remain skinny so it's just interesting people think like it's all about what you eat and how you move and it's really not true obviously the way that we eat does affect our body in some ways but it's a very small percentage it's really mostly about our genetics and um you know nature versus nurture but um that's it's interesting just to note that you that you've actually you you changed your eating um but like you added more food you know it wasn't like you added more variety for you added fruits and vegetables um and that still made you afraid of of waking um and did you ever struggle with body image issues before that that happened or you always felt good about your body yeah yeah I guess because like I was skinny, so I never, it was never bad. <laughs> right. But like I said before, that's not, that's not always the case. You know, it's like people who are skinny still feel bad about right. it for whatever reason. It could be that they don't want to lose their status of being skinny or they don't feel skinny enough because everybody's always talking about it. Um, so, yeah. And also like, I guess the other interesting thing is like to note that like we, for, for many reasons, I don't know what your reason is, but for many reasons, we tend to not know about our hunger and fullness because we're just so out of touch with our bodies because we're just, for so many reasons, you know, maybe we're disassociating from our body or we've had trauma in our body or we're just too busy. Like we're just too mindless. Like there's just too many other, uh, so many other things going on. And like our bodies are like really first and foremost, like we can't function without a body. Um, but it just, for some reason takes the back seat. So it's like intuitive eating is very much about, listening to the cues of your body, whether it's hungerfulness or even like sleepiness and having to go to the bathroom, like just like feeling embarrassed, like knowing what your body's telling you, like you said before, knowing when you're hungry, knowing when you're full. And it, and um, like you said before about your patients, like knowing what triggers um, like pain in their body, like that's just empowering. It's not like an obsession, like let me think about my body all day, but it's like, it's just empowering to know that like our bodies are so much more than the way that they look and they give us all these cues throughout the day and throughout our life. And like listening to it just gives us better quality of life. Right. Yeah. It sounds like intuitive eating really coincides very well with how I, how I work. Yeah, totally. Were you familiar with intuitive eating before you started on your food journey? No. Are you familiar with it now? A little bit, like not majorly, but I, I'm saying I've heard of it and I know like the basics, basics. Did it resonate with you when you heard about it for the first time? Um, I don't think so. Like, I don't think I was at a point that I would be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think like I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like I needed someone to kind of like start me off, yeah. like show me a little bit like what's like normal before I could like feel that. Totally. Um, okay, so I'm I'm going to wrap up unless there's something else you want to share. But before that, I wanted to know if like, because you are a pelvic floor PT, is there something you could share with the audience that would just help people in general, whether they are struggling with um the few things that you said like incontinence or back pain or um I asked 
hospices, whatever the word is. Yes. What are, right. what are some things they could do on like a daily basis just to, to help themselves? Sure. Um, a few easy ones are, I mean, with the diet, like what we were talking about, take out seltzer, take out um, coffee, drink a lot of water that helps with so many things. Um, drinking water. Um, deep breathing is huge. I'm not going to say anything that I wouldn't want someone to do without a physical therapist, like watching them do it. Okay. Um, things you could do on your own. Deep breathing helps a lot. Like people think it's just, you know, I mean, like it does help with stress and that's right. great. But like with so many things I see like a total correlation with stress, um, but it really physically also it's part, the diaphragm is part of the course. So it really, it's the first thing that I teach before I before I go to the pelvic floor and then to the stomach. Um, so deep breathing, you could watch a YouTube video or whatever it is, but really like learning to expand the ribs this way and breathe in with your nose, breathe out with your mouth. Um, that's huge. Um, what else? There's a lot of yoga positions that you could look up like like the butterfly pose, that, it's, that the butterfly pose is great. Go into the butterfly pose and relax your pelvic floor, like try to get in tune with your pelvic floor and feel it relax, um, hold that position for like a minute or two every night. Um, that's a really good one. Um, what else? Um, doing some pelvic tilts again, like look it up on YouTube, but like moving your pelvis back and forth that could really help with a lot of things. Um, there are some like external things that you could look for. Like if you have um, prolapse, you could, there are like these shorts that you could wear. Prolapse is like when one of the organs is like um, pushing down and, and peeking through um, the pelvic floor. There are shorts you could wear. Um, there's a lot of things that you could um, look at that could like help you in that way. Um, trying to think incontinence. Um, Kegels, but like, it's scary right. to say. Right. <laughs> Because there's a lot also like there are things sometimes if there are certain issues you have to take care of before you could do the Kegels, then like the Kegels could. That's my trick. Don't do Kegels unless a certified physical therapist tells you to do Kegels. Because really doctors or either people just think on their own do Kegels or a doctor will tell you to do Kegels. And like it could really mess. I, I just had a patient like an hour ago who went to PT and they told her to do Kegels and it really made her worse. Right. Um, so. Don't do Kegels unless you know that you really shouldn't be doing Kegels. Okay. All really important things. I think that you're doing such important work. And do you have like a vision where you want to take your business? Like, do you see yourself going into like um, schools, like high schools or seminaries or um, like OBGYN offices? Like, do you see yourself expanding? Because like, it's such important information that you have that people really don't know. Yeah. So I actually teach 12th grade biology and I have a, um, a section on female reproduction where I teach a lot of this stuff. And I think it's so important to, like I said, empowerment, like know your body, like know what's there. It shouldn't be so mysterious, you know, like you should know the holes and what they do and what they're for and use a mirror and look at, you know, what it looks like. Um, so I, I do. That's like, um. Do you think that's like a sneeze thing that we, that we have like, um, a misconception that like not knowing that is not sneeze? Do you think that's what it is? So I was just talking to someone about this. There definitely is that piece, um, for sure. No question that it kind of like gets 
mixed up like what's sneers versus like private versus like just because it has to be private it doesn't mean that you it should be private to you you know right, right. Um, but like everyone always blames it like oh from people from people I treat so many non-Jews who also have no clue what's down there right. who also are embarrassed of um issues that they're having with marital relations and everyone thinks like it's just like a from thing and like it's really not I, I do it could be it's more and like I I do see it but it's it's definitely not exclusively a from thing I was actually just thinking about this today um before we started talking today that like there's such a difference between like privacy and shame you know what I mean? Like there's things in our lives that are private, but we're not sh- embarrassed about it. It's just not for public consumption. And then there are things that we lump together with privacy and shame. You know what I mean? And like, so like, I guess explaining the difference, like, I think that I, I happen to try to be very sensitive on my podcast about things that, um, things that I share publicly not and things that I share privately not because I'm embarrassed just because I feel like there's different forums um I know that there's a college teacher out there who's amazing and incredible and I took one of her her courses and I know that she got like a lot of pushback because she had like these public courses talking about um talking about these type of these types of topics, I wouldn't even say it was so public. It was people who, you know, subscribed to the class, but just like the, she got pushback that like, these are things that you just talk to with your mother or your college teacher. And like, she felt it was so, so, so important that there was um, a place where anybody who was struggling could find support. And like, it's, a, I guess it's a delicate balance, you know, because like we are famous, we are modest, but like, I guess the definition of modesty is, is, um, I don't want to say up for debate, but it's interesting. It's like an interesting fine line. Yeah. Sometimes you also have to know, like sometimes you'll get pushback from, there's always going to be Rabbanim who are going to say that something's bad. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know where the pushback is coming from. You know, right. like right. who do you go by? You have your own people. And I'm literally like from when my kids are little, like obviously I'm not explaining certain things to them, but like I'll you know name the parts of their body and like I'm like yeah we don't talk about it like outside of the bathroom but like you could always tell mommy right you know if something hurts you or whatever and I'll I'll say like oh does does that hurt you and I'll name it like right was like oh we shouldn't say it I'm like no it's a part of your body like are you gonna say never say the word hand like right it's a part of your body and they should know what it is and and they should be able to tell me if it's if it hurts them or whatever it is you know so I like, know. It's, it's well like the overlap with that in like intuitive eating I say this a lot is that like because we like turn off our kids like hunger fullness cues by saying you, you're not hungry or you, you must be hungry or you're not full blah 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 it's like the same way that like if um somebody we we used to like you know shame our kids to be like go hug your uncle even if you didn't want to and now it's like if you don't feel like hugging your uncle like please listen to your body and don't touch someone you don't feel safe to touch like you know we're really trying to honor that so um, it's the same thing, but I do, um, not to get too much off topic, but I do struggle with telling my kids certain names and words. Cause I do find that they just like say it for fun. <laughs> so- I will tell them, right. I will say, no, it's not appropriate to say it, to say it out of the bathroom. You can only right. say it to a mommy and it has to be in the bathroom. My main thing is that it should be to a mommy. Right. So you don't just 
say it. Like you can't, right. I, I, I totally, I also like, I wasn't sure. I'm like, no, I shouldn't tell them not to say it. This is so not appropriate. So that's when right. I was like, say it to a mommy in the back. Right. Kids have like this special antenna of like knowing what they could say, like at the shop <laughs> when you're like at your rev's house, you know? And I'm like, ha ha. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. And I guess everybody, there's nuance there too. Like every family has to be comfortable with, with what they decide. Right. But exactly. The ultimate goal is like, just empower, like and same thing with kids like I say about intuitive eating and help at every size like parents say like don't say the fat don't say the f word don't say fat blah blah blah. I'm like let them say it let them ask you like fat doesn't have to be a bad thing but if you don't let them talk about it and you just say oh that's me and don't say that then you're just really disempowering them and confusing them like why is it bad if you don't explain it to me why why is it good why is it bad why is it neutral like kids have to have that language and that safe space to talk to funny like when I'm with my kids I I try this intuitive eating with them also. And they're like, um, about one of my friends, they're like, mommy, write, um, write bracha or whatever. They're like, write bracha's mommy makes them finish their food, but you don't make us finish our food. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, they see. Yeah, yeah, they do see. And even if we're like, it's discouraging because they're like still not eating or they're whatever they're doing, you feel like they're binging or they're hiding food, like just keep at it. I mean, maybe maybe you'll need a dietitian to help you, but I'm saying um, they do know. Like, and I, and I, I know I'm getting way off topic, but I say like the same way that like, if you, if your mother never sat you down and told, told you like, these are my value systems and these, these are the things that I care about so much in the whole entire world. If I would ask you as an adult, what are they? You would know because whether they say it or they don't say it, we know how our parents feel and we absorb mm-hmm. it. So it's like really, really important that we, I mean, saying it, I think is important, but just, um, you know, living by it and showing them and having a safe space is like so empowering for kids. Um, anyways, this is so great. I re- I really learned a lot, and I think that women's health is so 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 important. And just like having a space for it in in all different areas is so important. So thank you for the work that you do and for coming on. And is there? Right, sure. Are you taking private clients? Do you want to share about your practice? Sure. Um, it's called Orchid PT, Orchid Physical Therapy. I'm in Staten Island. You can look me up, orchidpt.com. And yeah, I'm taking um private clients. Okay, so I'll put that in the show notes so people could contact you. Um, okay, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great day. You too. Okay, bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.